morning. That was a pretty incredible uh, time of worship. Like we heard how to fight our battles and the posture that we use to fight our battles. And, and when all hell is, is, of a mountain is surrounding us, that, that if we have the spiritual eyes to see the Lord's positioning around and amidst our enemies, that we don't have to fear. We just have to ask for our eyes to be opened. So I'm Bobby Cato. I'm not your refined or chiseled, referring to Pastor Chain, um, pastor that, that you may uh, expect. I'm probably going to say some things that um, you don't like. Get over it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to dress to Matt Holden standards of a preacher. Get over it. And uh, but but what I will be is I'm going to be authentic, and I'm just going to share with you what the Lord is has been doing in my life and, and this journey that that I've been on for the last nine or ten months that has just been recapped in this last seven to ten days for me. And and I'm going to be honest that this is something tough for me to share with you. I talked to to Beth last night. And, and I told her that I do not want to speak today. I didn't want to do it because what, I, what I'm sharing, it's personal. It's something that, that I've pressed down and I've suppressed for a while. And, and, and through the course of this study, I had been forced to repent of some areas in my life. And I'm going to stand here and, and just open myself up to you and yeah, we'll be raw, right? So uh, before we get into it, I'm going to pray because we need that. So Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the freedom that we have, Father, just to, to get together and just proclaim the name of Jesus in the land. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you partner with us to prophetically shape your creation. God, I'm just asking that, that by your spirit, you would just use me, that I would just be a conduit of your love today, that, that any word that I speak would not be a word of, of Bobby or, or Bobby's intellect, Lord, but it would just be what your spirit is speaking to me and through me, and that somebody might just have a deeper revelation of how much you love them and what you've done for them, Lord, and they would leave away from here with a better relationship with you, Lord, just desire and to just pursue after you. Just love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. These light bulbs are hot. So early on in the studies here, the Lord took me, um, we'll kind of back up a little bit. The Lord gave me the topic or the title of the message prior to me having any content. So I thought for this message, what I'd been studying in the, in the weeks leading up to this um, preparation was in fact preparing me for what I needed today, but I had no idea, right? It's just, God just pieced everything together. It works out great. Um, but I was reading in... Acts chapter 3, and, and God gave me this word pioneer prior to going to Acts chapter 3, and, and when I heard the word pioneer, I got excited. I'm a land surveyor. Surveyors are modern-day pioneers. If you look all throughout history, all of the people that pioneered America were probably land surveyors. They were the ones trudging through the brush. They were the ones, um, I read it in a book called Blazes, Posts, and Trails about the, the western frontier west of the Alleghenies how these early surveyors said that a squirrel could probably um, go from the Ohio River at the bottom of Ohio all the way to Lake Erie without ever touching the ground. The woods was that dense. And there's accounts of these um, early pioneers facing um, adversity. They faced American Indians trying to kill them. They faced the wildlife trying to kill them, panthers, bears, everything, diseases, 
all of life was against these guys. And, and that's like the history of a surveyor, right? And I was just excited. I was ready to share about surveying. And I was ready to share about pioneering and what it meant to me because I was passionate about this. I made a career out of it. And the, and the Lord, you know, over this weekend was just like, well, we're not here to talk about what you do. I was like, well, shoot. <laughs> that would have been easier to talk about. But uh, so, so, yeah, we started this journey, Acts chapter 3. Um, Peter and John are on their way to the temple, leading up to verse 12 here. Peter and John are on their way to the temple, and they see this lame beggar. And this lame beggar, it said he had been put there daily on the step of the temple. And, and odds are they've seen him and the beggar had seen them. This isn't the first time their paths have crossed. These guys were going to this temple daily about 3 p.m. to pray. It's not the first time they've seen each other, but this time the beggar cried out to Jesus, or cried out to Jesus, probably did that too, cried out to Peter and John and asked them for some money. And, and we know that Peter told them that I don't have any money for you, but what I do have is the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now get up and walk. And they picked him up. And then that man, lame man since birth, was immediately restored. And he jumped up, running around, probably making a big scene, right? I would. And, and he runs into the temple, and they drew a crowd. And that's where this picks up. So with the crowd surrounding him, Peter said to them all, now this is Peter's second message. We've already had the outpouring of the Spirit in the upper room. We already had the first message. Peter's already full of the Spirit. And, and this is Peter's second message. So with the crowd surrounding him, Peter said to them all, people of Israel, listen to me. Why are you so amazed by this healing? Why do you stare at us? We didn't make this crippled man walk by our own power or authority. The God of our ancestors the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has done this. For he has glorified his servant Jesus, the one you denied that he be crucified. The one that you denied him to Pilate's face, that he decided to release him, and you insisted that he be crucified. You rejected the one who is holy and righteous, and instead begged for a murderer to be released. You killed the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we stand here as witnesses to that fact. Faith in Jesus' name has healed this man standing before you. It is the faith that comes through believing in Jesus' name that has made the crippled man walk right in front of your eyes. So Peter used this phrase, prince of life, in there to describe who they killed. And that jumped off the page to me this weekend. And as, as I got into it, I, I discovered that the word prince... In verse 15, the word prince is the Greek word archagus. And, and the Greek word archagus, um, according to the New uh, Testament Greek lexicon, only occurs in the New Testament four times. It occurs here. It occurs in Acts 5.31, Hebrews 2.10, and Hebrews 12.2. And, and some synonyms for that according to that uh, Greek lexicon, uh, because their language is, is so much more, there's so much more depth to it than what uh, English has. So one word kind of like embodies a lot. But that is uh, sometimes defined as chief leader, the prince, author, one that takes lead in anything, or someone that leads by example. They are a predecessor in matters, and sometimes they are pioneers. And, and that's what caught Bobby's attention. I had Pioneer, had no idea where we were going, landed in here. And, uh, and, and, and Peter used this word, the pioneer of life, the prince of life, the archagus of life, to define Jesus. And, and pioneer, to me, probably wouldn't be the first word that I would use to describe Jesus. We know Jesus as love. We know Jesus is our Savior. There's all these big enveloping words, but pioneer just seems pretty pointed. But, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey. I'm assuming that Holy Spirit has something he wants to reveal to me all along. You know, I'm still in the early mindset of I'm talking about land surveying, right? And, and all along, I'm just like, okay, well, I'll, I'll follow you here. There's something here 
for me, and there's something here for us. And if, if Peter's going to call Jesus a pioneer, and just like Pastor Mark said last week, if we are Christians, little Christs, then that pioneer is something that ought to be a part of me as well. So I split this into two, we'll say two schools of thought. Um, the first is the practical, and then the second is where I'm going to fall apart on you, and, and that's the, the tougher side. So uh, like I said, through this, I had some practical examples, some definition items of a pioneer and what that looks like, and then I had the application side. That'll be the second part, the, how it's applicable um, and, and kind of what the Lord did in and through me through this study. So I have these um, four traits that I pulled from the teachings of Paul that um, describe a pioneer, a pioneering spirit, these, these four kind of action items that we should embody, these traits that should be a part of our life. And the number one is a pioneer has a life of devotion. A pioneer is devoted in study, and a pioneer... Christian pioneer is devoted in prayer. We're devoted in study and we're devoted in prayer. If we can throw up Colossians 4.2 in the Christian standard. Well, that's coming up. I'm going to apologize to Aaron Vogt. Um, I know the Passion Translation is your favorite. And not only that, we're going to read it here. But we also have the message, so you got that, right? <laughs> I knew you would cringe inside. So Colossians 4.2 in the Christian standard says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Don't be lazy with prayer. Be a student to prayer. And the second verse we have here is 1 Timothy 4.13 in the Passion. And it says, So until I come, be diligent in devouring the word of God. Be faithful in prayer and in teaching the believers. Paul's instructions are to stay bowed down in the prayer place. Keep focused. Don't be lazy. Don't pray when you're laying your head down to sleep. I think Pastor Mark alluded to it um, last week when he was preaching that if he preaches or if he prays when his head's on the pillow, he wakes up in the morning. And, and that's an easy place to be. And so we have to be intentional. Set aside time to pray. Set aside time to put that word inside of us. Because when life starts squeezing, we need that in us to come out. And not Bobby's power to come out. So trait number one is devotion. We're devoted to studying the word. We're devoted to studying the attributes of Jesus. We're devoted to studying how... The Spirit um, impacts our life, and we're devoted in prayer so that the Lord can reveal His will to us so that we can see where the Spirit is moving. None of that comes by any means other than prayer. Trait number two is trust. Pioneers trust. They trust in who called them, and they trust in the process of their calling. 2 Timothy 1.12, also in the Passion, Aaron. The confidence of my calling enables me to overcome every difficulty without shame, for I have an intimate revelation of this God, and my faith in him who convinces me that he is more than able to keep all that I've placed in his hands safe and secure until the fullness of his appearing. Paul, a guy that was absolutely just crushed in his life, coming to the end of his life, instructing Timothy that, hey, man, this is worth it. I've put all my eggs in the Jesus basket, and I'm going to stick to it, and I'm going to trust that he will be faithful. Con Miss Connie just sang about his faithfulness and how he um, protects and, and keeps us, and, and just we're, we got to trust in that faith. we got to trust that the Lord will be faithful to what he's spoken to us. we got to trust that if he calls us to do something, that he's not going to leave us hanging out to dry, that he's already gone before. He's already pioneered the way into our calling. This third attribute is humbleness. Pioneers embody humbleness, where we put others 
needs ahead of our own convenience. Philippians 2.3 says, Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. If we pull from history anybody that we would picture as a pioneer, any, any modern-day uh, Christian martyr, they're going to probably tell you that they 100% died to self and pursued everyone else's needs ahead of their own. Pioneers live a life of humbleness. They stay bowed down to the cause of Christ, and, and they do not pursue their own desires. Attribute number four, obedience. Kind of goes without saying, right? Pioneers, I mean, you have to be obedient to these first three. You have to be obedient in devotion, in study, in prayer. You have to be obedient and stay bowed down in order to live a humble life. It'd be easy to let my desires rise up, but I have to be obedient to just get down. Pastor Don's old saying is the upside-down kingdom. We serve our way into righteousness. Philippians 2.8 says that he, Christ, humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man, and he was obedient even unto death. Christ set the example, like he set the bar pretty high, that, that we are to subject ourselves, die to ourselves, Paul modeled that life of dying to self because the reward is far greater. All four of these items, devotion, trust, humble, and obedience, they're, they're all kind of packaged in, in this word. And we, we talked about it at Remnant a couple of months ago in, in meek, the word meekness. Jesus says in his uh, in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the meek. And a meek individual is somebody that doesn't need to defend themselves. They don't need to defend their calling. They don't need to defend um, Christ. Christ doesn't need us to, to stick up for him. He can do a pretty good job himself. But the meek person in their humble nature, think of Ernie Kessler, Christ uh, pretty much incarnate in Ernie, and uh, he is probably, him and maybe Howard, uh, probably the, the most meek individuals you'll know. And, and they don't come off as these guys that are rough and tough and gritty. But I wouldn't mess with Ernie because he probably knows 75 different ways to hide me in his flower bed. <laughs> and in his gentle nature, it speaks that, that I have Christ back in me and nothing else matters. Gary Sloan will tell you the same thing. Pastor Mark, Shane, Jeff, and Ben, they're all going to tell you the same thing. Blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. They don't need to stand up here and roll with an iron fist. They need to just let love pour through them because love corrects all wrongs and love guides in all ways. It'll correct all of our bad theology and poor thinking. And I wish it would correct my iPhone from falling asleep. I'm not in that uh, 25 and under youth crowd anymore. You need to like expand that age gap a little bit. I was feeling a little uh, left out. 35 is young. So next week, let's have the 25 to 36. The young also. So pioneers. Pioneers are folks that uh, have bowed down lives. They're submitted to the Father's authority. And they're submitted to his will and his will alone. They don't care about the praise of man. Pioneers know that the reward is greater than the risk. And they've accepted that the reward will be greater than the risk, no matter the cost. Um, pioneers only act as the Spirit leads. Pioneers are empowered 
through their life of sanctification. Their, their life um, of being set apart and staying bowed down has provided them power to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, to do these things that Jesus has called us to do. And, and that power through a pioneer's life and, and the ability to keep going on ahead by themselves um, comes only from a life of sanctification. Pioneers are lonely. Jesus said that uh, the gate is small and the road is difficult. And it's a, it's a rough, narrow road that leads to eternal life. But it's worth it. Not many find it. Few and far between. And a pioneer is at the, is at the head and not the tail. And then a pioneer is on the enemy's radar. If you, I believe it was Bill Johnson said it, that uh, if you never run into the devil, maybe you're going the same direction. I was reading uh, in, in the weeks and, and probably the last month, I've been in 1 Samuel. And in Samuel, we know that Saul was made king. The Israelites wanted a king. They gave Saul as king. Um, Samuel anointed Saul to be king. And, and it says that uh, Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, far better looking than I am. And he, was, he just looked. He looked the part of king. He was anointed to be king. And then Saul had some, some issues inside of Saul, right? He had these, these areas of his life that that every now and then pride would rise up and selfishness would rise up and he would just do things his way rather than waiting on the Lord's way. And, and then, you know, we, I'm not going to read. It's go home, read your own Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 9 through 31. That's the whole account. And uh, so we'll just give a little bit of paraphrase to the whole thing here. But Saul was taken back to Gilgal where he was anointed king and there he was to wait on Samuel to show up to make sacrifice to the Lord prior to going out into battle. And Saul got impatient, took things into his own hands and offered a sacrifice and the Lord at that time cut off his anointing. And from then on, we read about David and David being anointed king, and David coming to, to Israel's defense in fighting Goliath. And, and we read all of these tales of David, but mixed in these tales of David is this pursuit of David by Saul. David was called to be king. Saul was still acting as king. Saul was still in the position of king, and David had to be submitted to the will of the Lord and the timing of the Lord. Pioneers are submitted to the Lord's timing. They're not going to take things into their own hands. Pioneers, being on the enemy's radar, David was enemy number one in Saul's eyes. Saul carried this spirit of jealousy and insecurity and just this selfish ambition and pride, and he made it his life's goal to kill David. Here's David of... Uh, as Freeman would put it, a redheaded, you know, booger-nosed kid that got anointed as king. And he found favor in, in the king's eyes. He found favor in Saul's eyes. Saul, trying to be malicious, you know, tried to give him a daughter, toying around with him, pursuing him, eventually gives him, you know, his first wife. And... And, and it had to have just been confusing. Put, if you put yourself in that story, from David's perspective, it had to be confusing. All of hell was breaking loose against his life, and he spent a good chunk of it running. He spent a good chunk of it hiding from the king that he was serving. And he had an army behind him. Saul gave him like a little, I don't know what you 
want to call it, but he had his own little military with him of, of men that were there to fight battles. He was fighting on Israel's side. And, and the whole time, the king was still trying to kill him. He was a captain in the army, and Saul was trying to take him out, running and hiding. But Saul couldn't get out of his own way and just kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing. And, and I felt like the Lord was speaking this to us that, that as we follow Jesus who pioneered and authored our faith, as we follow him as pioneers encouraging those behind us in our family, our friends, in the body to come along. I've seen something, I've seen something better. Let's go from glory to glory. Follow me. Come along. Let's go. The whole time, all hell's trying to break loose in our face. And this, these people's um, insecurity and selfishness, as we said, it was rooted in uh, Saul, this spirit of jealousy in others, rises up against us. And all of this is, an, is uh, as, as the Bible says, the Lord uses all things for his good. And the Lord used Saul's pursuit in David's life to root out the attributes that he didn't want in Israel's future king. He used the jealousy that was in Saul to teach David to be patient and humble. He used that pursuit and the desire to kill to teach David honor. A couple of different times, David had the opportunity to kill Saul. And both times, he kind of rubbed it in his nose. Probably not the best way to go about it. But he let him know that, hey, I could have done this. And my entire army told me that you were delivered over to me. And I could have taken you out, but I honored you as king. Stop chasing me. Leave me alone and go back to where you came from. And they separated ways every time. And Saul always went back home. David had the anointing. And Saul couldn't accept it. And, and so often we'll see these times in our lives where um, we'll use the praise of man, for instance. Something I've struggled with. And, and in order to break me of the praises of man, God will baptize me in the attacks of man's words just to break that off my life. It seems rough, doesn't it? But the Lord knows what he's doing. I'm subject to his will. It doesn't matter how comfortable I feel, but somebody might say something that annoys me and I don't like it. And rather than rise up and get all angry about it, I have to take it to him. And as pioneers, that's, that's what we do. We have to take all things back to the Lord, cast it on him, take on his yoke because it's easy, cast everything on the Lord, and don't worry about what Lindsay thinks about Bobby, because I don't care. The fear of man is broken off of my life. And, and the Lord did it by baptizing me in the criticalness of man. The Lord used people in my life to crush that orphan spirit, as Shane preached about for two weeks. Go back and listen to that. Oftentimes, the Lord will baptize us in an attack against the very area that he is trying to break off of our lives. Because ultimately, he's refining us to be who he called us to be. He doesn't want us to be the better image of who we think we are supposed to be as we're preaching, which is why I'm up here in camo shorts. Sorry, Matt. I love you. But the Lord will just subject us to these attacks. And it's okay. It's not. Oftentimes when we, when we think of prophecy, we, we know that the, the prophetic, if it doesn't land in the warm and fuzzy category, oftentimes we cast it off. But sometimes corrections needed. Sometimes tough words land. And that's okay. Tough, bullheaded guys like myself, um, we need a, a pretty good lick upside the head every now and then. 
So that was uh, area numero uno. And now we've hit the TD Jake's territory where I wish I brought a towel because I'm sweating. Area two. I was kind of joking with Pastor Shane the other day while we were on a date together um, at different tables at Texas Roadhouse that uh, if people wanted great transitions, they could just come listen to him. So the second teaching of this um, is found in the book of Hebrews. And before we dive into Scripture, um, I want to kind of back up. May 7th, driving to church, I heard the Holy Spirit just kind of whispered in my soul, this is the dawning of a new era. And, and I told Beth, and then I think it was that, it was that very same morning, because um, I ended up texting Jeff and Connie about it, but Connie just mentioned to Beth in passing that she heard the Lord that same morning say the dawning of a new era. So it kind of like perked my ears up, right? Um, it's, it's one thing if you hear something once, you hear something twice, maybe we should pay attention. So my ears peaked up a little bit, and, and there was nothing. I just assumed this was a back burner word. Excuse me. And then it, it kind of cropped up again this past week. I've been reading this book. I recommend go grab it. It's a great teaching on pioneers. Um, it's called Prophetic Pioneering. It's about the prophetic and the apostolic um, function in the church today. It's written by Jeremiah Johnson. It's a, it's a killer book. But in, the, in that book, I just happened to have it on Audible driving to work. And this kind of just rung in my ears, and I had to hit rewind. I was like, did I hear that right? But he said, God is looking for pioneers to follow his spirit into the new era. So I have pioneer. Now we have this new era word that I remembered from May 7th, forever ago. And it just kind of made me think, like, where are we going, and why is Holy Spirit speaking this to the global church? Like, he's speaking it to... a random hillbilly in New Waterford, Ohio, and the church's pastor's wife, and some guy from Texas, or wherever he's from. Um, so so when, when things like these happen, like, I, I wanted to pay attention. And then we'll go, we're going to jump right into scripture here. We're in Hebrews 2, 10. It says, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And I was like, well, man, there we are. That pioneer word pops up again. And uh, to better understand the definition of a pioneer, which I guess we probably ought to cover this at the beginning, okay? Um, pioneers are people that, that they go ahead of others to ensure safe passage. It's a, it's a French military term. The French would send out a company of people to clear trails, trim it up, build bridges, clear mines, whatever they needed to do to ensure that the military group behind them or the significant figure behind them would have safe passage wherever they were going. So pioneer, in our day and age is a French military term. That's kind of where we get it. It's rooted there. And if Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, um, here in 2.10 it says that he was made perfect through suffering. So Jesus came as a baby. He took on blood and flesh. And, and Jesus was raised in our society. It says that we are brothers and sisters of Christ. He stepped out of eternity to join us here on death's journey. He stepped out of eternity, took on blood and flesh, and, and became man so that we could be free from death. And, and he lived a life of, well, I mean, it was a short few years, right? But he lived for three years absolutely being ridiculed and just hated by the religious spirit. And we, we see that all come to fullness in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is 
through blood, sweat, and tears, asking the Lord to just take this cup from him. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says he is praying so hard, and he's so... I, I would honestly... I know it's probably not a great thing to throw out there about Jesus being scared, but he had death in front of him, and the prospect of death had him asking his father if he could take this from him. I couldn't do what Jesus did. And, and just, if I had a way out, I'd probably take a way out, right? But through blood, sweat, and tears, Jesus is asking his father to take this cup from him, but, but ultimately let the father's will be done. I don't want to just do things under my own power because I could snap my fingers and be out of here in a second and never go through anything. But I want to go first through death so that they don't have to face the fear of death. Jesus pioneered a way through death's door, and he didn't just go to the cross and die. He went to the grave. He rose again. He conquered death. And Jesus is sitting on the other side of death as the pioneer of the life that we are living now. So we don't have to face the prospect of death with fear. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring, us. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. No matter what we face in life, Jesus has experienced it. And Jesus knows how to comfort us through that. His spirit is there available for us to not just walk with us through it, but the spirit has gone ahead of us so that he's waiting there with the peace that passes all understanding, a peace that nobody understands. The spirit has already gone ahead to that place and is waiting for us. We have peace waiting on us in a hard time that we don't even know about yet. Many of you are probably already aware with the, uh, the prospect of, uh, I guess, everything that's just going on in my dad's life. We've prayed for him every Sunday since the end of September. My dad was experiencing what we thought was stroke-like symptoms, and... He was he was just off, right? Everything kind of slouching to one side. And we thought he had a stroke or was having a stroke or something. And it took a couple of weeks to get a stubborn man to go to the hospital. or to the, He just went to the doctors to get checked out. And they rushed him to the hospital to do a CAT scan of his brain just to see if he had a stroke. And it turned out that he had a brain tumor. And... September 30th of 2022, sitting down to play drums for a heart of David, I get a text message that your dad has a brain tumor. And since then, life has just been a roller coaster. It's been tough. It's tough when you, when you see family struggling. It's tough when you're faced with potential death. And the, uh, he goes in, they did emergency surgery. I, I still remember standing outside the uh, ICU waiting room when the neurosurgeon came in, uh, talked to, to me and my mom and uh, whoever else was standing there. I, I, it was a blur. But I remember his words, 
And, and here I am, a man full of faith, praying for the Lord's will to be done. But, you know, it'd be pretty cool to, to you know, think about this. Like, guy scans all show brain cancer. Doctor goes in, no cancer. That'd be great, right? Here's a man standing in the, the um, hallway of the ICU waiting room, full of faith, with great expectation, and the neurosurgeon says stage four brain cancer. It's a glioblastoma. Never even heard that word in my life. GBM, he says. Prognosis, 12 to 18 months. It's tough news to, to receive. And I kind of tailspun into shock a bit. And I walked out of there straight across the street to my truck in the parking garage, shut my door, and I still guarantee everybody in that parking garage heard me screaming. It hurt. My dad's going to die. That's what I heard. I heard a death sentence. And as I'm sitting there falling apart with the world and all of its pressure just squeezing me in that moment, if I don't have those attributes that we covered... Of, of a pioneer, if I'm not rooted in the word, if I'm not bowed down to the Lord's agenda, if I'm not living a life of prayer. When the world squeezes, I promise you, Jesus won't come out. I was mad. <laughs> but sitting there in my truck... Holy Spirit, just being as gentle as he can be, just whispered to me, like, this isn't where I called you to be. You weren't called to just run alone to your truck. You weren't called to leave your family sitting up there. And I recognized through this week that looking back, it's always 2020. It's tougher in the moment, right? But I recognized that the Holy Spirit went ahead. He knew all of that was going down, right? And the Holy Spirit met me in my truck in the parking deck of St. Elizabeth Youngstown with a peace that I can't even explain to you. And I put my big boy pants back on and I went and made the big boy decisions that, that had to be made in respect to what was going on with my father. And since that day, I kind of just forgot about that and just let it slide. But in preparation of this message... I had recognized that I had given death a toehold to allow fear to creep into my life. And this, this week, I've had to repent of that. As those that stand up here and, and preach and the pastors, like, not everybody's living a perfect life. Stuff happens. It's just how we react. All right, we'll turn on the, the jets a little bit here. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This is in the message, Aaron, so put your earmuffs in. It says, do you see what this means? All of these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans that are cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. That fear that I allowed creep in was that parasitic sin. 
It was something that I'd suppressed and I'd put down. And, and, and honestly, if you asked me how I was doing, I'd have said I was okay. I've had conversations with family. I've had conversations with friends. I didn't realize that was there. A life of prayer highlights these things. A life of study, Holy Spirit will highlight these areas that he's still refining us in. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility. He plowed it through it all. And that'll shoot adrenaline up in your soul. So we're pioneers of a new era. Jesus says that, that we will face adversity in this, in this life, but to take heart because he's already overcome the world. And in this new era, the, the church is being groomed in personal accountability. These messages like Pastor Mark's last week of just giving us practical tools of how to study the Bible. The church is being groomed. The bride is being refined for the days that are ahead. Scriptures are clear that, that we will face all sorts of persecution. We don't have to look very far to see that the world is growing darker, which means the church has to be shining brighter, which puts us in the public eye, which paints a target on the church. The church is countercultural. The church needs to be a meek people that aren't gonna just raise their ugly head and, and just lash out at people, but just through love, let the Lord baptize whatever comes against us in the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus will cast out all fear and the love of Jesus will convict all things in their lives. We don't have to be the one to point out sin in people's life. We just have to love on them and we learn how to love people and we learn how to, how to take care of people by a life of devotion to the word of God and a life of devotion to prayer. So we have this great cloud of witnesses, these pioneers that have gone before us of who I would argue Paul was probably up there pretty high on the list. And Paul counted it all joy to face his persecution. He loved the fact that the war was coming against him. All of his life was just in devotion to Christ Jesus. And he took advantage of every opportunity. Even in a jail cell in Rome, with a new guard tied to him every four hours. He evangelized that guard day and night and day and night. It's not a matter of can we do, but will we do? We have this great responsibility ahead of us to, to not just uh, pursue after Jesus and put blinders up and just forget about what's going on around us. But we are, we are also in this new era called the mother and father, those behind us. So we can stand. And I just want to pray for you. If you're in here today and you don't know the Lord and you don't, you don't know what it's like to have this peace on the other side of adversity waiting for you, maybe, maybe some things I said don't make a whole lot of sense 
in Jesus being the front runner of our faith and blazing the trail ahead of us so that we don't have to have fear in our lives anymore. Then I would invite you to just close your eyes and and just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Without a life dedicated to Jesus, we have no life of power because the Holy Spirit can't come on the inside of a corrupt being. Maybe you're here and, and, and you just need to, to have a, a little course correction. Maybe, maybe you've wandered off that narrow path. Maybe you went through that, that small gate but the road got tough and you stepped off to the side. The Lord saying, Elijah, why are you here? Where are you? So these altars are gonna be open. People will be here to pray for you. But Father God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we just thank you for pioneering a way ahead of us that we don't have to, to live a life bowed down to fear, but we live a life bowed down to you because you, Jesus, came as a baby. You, Jesus, lived a life subject to everything I'm ever going to go through. And you, Jesus, through fear, went to the cross and counted it all joy. You counted it all joy to die just for me. And you counted it all joy, all joy to die for us. Father, we, we pray for boldness of your body. We pray for a quickening of the church. Lord, we, we pray for the great refining of your bride as we come into this new era. Lord, this, this era is going to be scary. We know that this era is going to be scary, Lord, but we're not looking. We're not looking left. We're looking right. We're looking ahead, and we're making sure others are following. We just love you, Jesus. We just thank you for the way that you, you wash us and protect us. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd.